Paul W. Smith Show at 6. The pre-W. Smith Show now. 760 WJR. Here is Jeff Sloan. All right. It is uh, November 10th, as we mentioned, opening the show, of course. And, um, you know, we, we touched on it in the opening. This is a day that uh, marks the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. We wanted to go back to that story and really frame it out. It's an amazing story for many reasons. You can look at it in many different ways and be amazed by it in many different ways. One, of course, people who don't know the Great Lakes, like we all do living here in Michigan, we know that these are many oceans, and Lake Superior in particular, when that body of water gets upset and gets going, gets rolling in a storm, whatever it may be, it can be extremely dangerous. 30,000 people, by the way, 30,000 sailors have lost their lives on, in Great Lakes shipping over the years with many great stories of loss. Uh, many, many wrecks lay at the bottom of the Great Lakes. Lake Superior, as I mentioned, of course, being the largest and the most dynamic of all the lakes. And the interesting thing about the story of the Edmund Fitzgerald is it's a story that, you know, again, you can look at it many different ways, but one way you could look at it, it's a story with a bit of hubris in it. You know, it's a ship that was the queen of the Great Lakes, in many ways comparable to what the Titanic was to ocean-going vessels, the unsinkable Titanic. Well, the Edmund Fitzgerald was the queen of the Great Lakes, 729 feet, the longest freighter operating on the Great Lakes at the time. It was heralded. It was recognized. People would stand on the shore to see it pass through the Sulaks or come into Detroit, pass through Detroit. It was one of those ships that was really heralded and respected and certainly appreciated. Yet, nonetheless, Mother Nature came calling on November 10th, 1975, when the Edmund Fitzgerald began its voyage, actually on November 10th, at the Burlington Northern Railroad Dock, number one in Superior, Wisconsin, where it was being loaded with these iron ore, taconite pellets, 26,000 tons of them. And it was the decision of Captain Ernest McSorley on that afternoon in November 9th that he was going to make the run down to Detroit to deliver the taconite pellets to a Detroit factory where they make those pellets into steel, of course, largely for the auto industry. And uh, on that day, by the way, on November 9th, the weather, the seas were calm in Lake Superior. The sun was out, but there was no doubt and there was no hiding. It was clear there was a storm brewing in the plains in the western part of the United States, and it was headed with a direct bullseye on the Great Lakes, and in particular, Lake Superior. Nonetheless, at 2.30 p.m. on November 9th, Captain McSorley made the decision, along with uh, Bernie Cooper captaining the Arthur M. Anderson, another Great Lakes ship. They both departed, the Anderson from Two Harbors, Minnesota, the Edmund Fitzgerald, again from Superior, Wisconsin, and they headed downbound, as they say. They were headed downbound, uh, heading across Lake Superior, and then down through the Sulaks, in the case of the Fitzgerald, headed to Detroit, ultimately. So... Off they went. The two ships were in radio contact as they made their way across Lake Superior. Fitzgerald was a faster ship. It took the lead as they began moving across the lake. It was ahead by about 10 to 15 miles. Nonetheless, they were in radio contact, and there was radar contact as well between the two ships. They could keep an eye on one another, keep in touch with one another. And that November storm started to build as they made their way into the evening and uh, through the night and into the next day, November 10th, their route took them between Isle Royal and the Keweenaw Peninsula. 
They later made a turn southeast where they started to head down to Whitefish Point. There's a bay there, by the way, Whitefish Bay, where they could have gotten respite from the storm. Weather conditions began to deteriorate. Gale warnings have been issued at 7 p.m. on November 9th, upgraded to storm warnings early in the morning of November 10th. Winds began gusting to 50 knots, seas rising to 12 to 16 feet. And in those kinds of conditions, those ships are capable of making it through. But this storm wasn't done brewing, brewing and churning and burning and becoming a monster. Captain Cooper maintained that he watched the Fitzgerald pass too close to Six Fathom Shoals, north of Caribou Island. Now, I mentioned to tee the story up. This was a story in part, one of Hubris, the great ship, the great Captain McSorley piloting his ship. He knew he could get through this. At least he thought he could. But the thing is this, a series of events, a confluence of events began to build. And part of the events were marked by decision-making. Other parts of the events were Mother Nature casting its ugly ugly capability down on the ship, and uh, they ultimately hit a shoal too close. One wonders, we don't know the exact reason of the sinking of the ship, but one wonders if that didn't have a factor. What did have a factor, though, is that the waves began to rise to 35 feet, winds 70 knots. These are gale force, hurricane kind of conditions, and ultimately... Water got into the hull of the ship. Those taconite pellets began to slosh. A huge wave hit the back of the stern of the 729 Fit Fitzgerald. And in 535 feet of water, the stern rose, the bow plunged, and that bow hit the bottom of the ship, likely cracking it in half. And all 29 men, many of them strapped to their beds, taken to the bottom of Lake Superior where they all met their fate. And then, of course, captured by Gordon Lightfoot, now adding to the history and magnitude and incredible artistry, captured that event, and that story will haunt us forever. There you have it, the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald on November 10th. Other news today, though, of course, coming up in the Paul W. Show. We've got Ann joining us. Ann, were you aware? Were you, do you remember the, the day, the time when the Edmund Fitzgerald went down? You know, it's so interesting. I was young then, and I don't remember it. And it has a lot more meaning to me now. Because when you think about it, what a tragedy. You know, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's really unthinkable. And we're talking about that today, too, Jeff. We're going to talk to, Paul's going to talk to Ken Morse. He's the chairman of the Mariners Church of Detroit, the board Mm -hmm. of directors. They're having a service on Sunday, November 13th at 3 o'clock at the church. And uh, I think it's nice that they do this Great Lakes Memorial Service. You know, I've been to that service, Ann. I've been oh, to the really? service where they ring the bell 29 times. Uh, they used to do it, I think, on the day, November 10th. Uh, Is it now doing it this, oh, It's haunting. It's beautiful. Of course, the families are there. It's uh, it's stirring. It's, it's emotional. It's incredible. Yes, uh, I highly recommend it. And, you know, Jeff, Ken Morse says that 30,000 people have died in the Great Lakes over the years. Right, right. No, these are these are mini oceans. When they get stirred up, when a storm hits, look out. Look out. Mm-hmm. I bet it's a You're Great Lakes sailor. Right. Skippered the Mackinac race, sailing races, and I've uh, been in a few storms myself. And I'll tell you what, it's nothing to mess around with. Nothing. Very scary. Yep, yeah, right about so that. Good. Looking forward to your show ahead. And, of course, Paul, the whole gang, Sean. We look forward to that. We're going to sign off here on the... Uh, W. Smith Show and hand it off to Paul W. Ann and Sean. 
Stick with us here on WJR.